Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Today we're going to feature a very important issue. And I think this is very important because so much of, I think personally, what we talk about today in terms of American politics and policy and ideas lack complete historical perspective and so much of that just destroys what we're trying to do or what anyone's trying to do and people don't realize that certain things have been tried uh, didn't work or they did work uh, certain people said certain things that didn't come to pass we see this all the time with our, this our issue you look at like embryonic stem cell research um, and yet the same people keep getting believed in the future, despite the things they say that come to pass don't happen. Um, so it's really critical for pro-lifers to understand that. And the context of all this is very important, and that is Michigan's old law. I don't want to say old because it's still around banning abortion and why it's so important. So in short, Michigan has had a law since... 1846 that has banned abortion in the state. Basically, as long as our state has had laws, written down statutory laws, Michigan has banned abortion. And that law has been in effect from then until today. And that's very critical in terms of our strategy. So let's go back a little bit for for history and understand this and where we are today and and I just say this because of the context of kind of where we are now because we're in the situation where we have a pro-life assuming we have a pro-life Supreme Court majority uh, maybe John Roberts makes that six or maybe it's five Will Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett have the guts or and Gorsuch to follow through with what the, how they've ruled and said so far? That all remains to be seen. But the idea is we're very close to overturning Roe versus Wade, it seems. What does that mean for the pro-life movement? What does that mean for our state? And so a lot of states right now are passing uh, pro-life laws. You see Planned Parenthood and NARAL online complaining about it and they're right to and all this great energy and michigan sadly we're kind of bystanders because we did a great job in the last election keeping our pro-life house majority uh we did not get the governor's mansion though and right now that's really difficult we don't have a pro-life secretary of state so when it comes time for a petition drive and signatures uh to be counted that doesn't work as well as it used to, and we have a don't have a pro-life Supreme Court majority anymore. Um, we'll get to that in a few minutes. So, and really, where people struggle with this is sometimes uh, so this has happened twice in in my memory here at Right to Life of Michigan. Uh, the last time was uh, the issue of the heartbeat bill while we were trying to do the dismemberment peti uh, petition drive. And then the time before that was when I was in uh, Students for Life group in college and the personhood issue. 
and both situations were very similar. You had activists who had this great idea they thought that would be that silver bullet to end abortion, and we, if we could just get it passed, we could end abortion in Michigan, and then Right to Life of Michigan comes along and says, no, that's not a good idea, and then they get upset. Obviously, with the, uh, with the heartbeat one, I was working here, so I understood that very well. Um, with the personhood one, I was in college, and, and back then, a new person in the pro-life movement, you have pretty much zero uh, historical perspective. And so in my mind, it was like, oh, pro-lifers are arguing, whatever. I'm just worried about what's going on in campus. Um, but controversy both times. But there is a method to all this madness, and that is this history that we're going to go through. So the state of Michigan revised all of our criminal laws, statutory laws, back in 1846. Uh, this is Michigan had just become a state, uh, just making sure, and this was along the time, too, that all states were starting to do this to really move away from the old practice of uh, just precedent and common law and move into the, the realm of statutory law, where everything is not just a tradition that a judge has decided and future judges follow uh, based on basic principles. Now we're going to write everything down. And I suppose there's legal scholars could get into a debate <laughs> over the wisdom of that, but that's where we are. All of our laws now are written down. Um, common law still exists to a certain extent, but really statutory law is where things happen. And so Michigan, when they did this, included naturally an abortion ban because most states at the time banned abortion. Abortion was almost universally frowned upon in society. Of course, like any other bad thing, it, it still happened. Abortion's been happening as long as mankind has existed. Um, but so has every other bad thing and injustice that uh, we deal with still these days. So Michigan's always had this law. And this law was uncontroversial for more than a century. In the 1960s, uh, groups were created and began arguing for abortion and to legalize abortion. They tried to do that in Michigan. Um, they failed. Uh, tried in the legislature. That didn't work. And so what they did is they took advantage of Michigan's uh, citizen-initiated legislation and amendment procedures. So they, in 1972, started a ballot proposal to legalize abortion uh, through 20 weeks in Michigan. And this happened in November 1972, just weeks before Roe versus Wade. So this is essentially what public opinion was in Michigan in November 1972, when, Ro when basically what Roe versus Wade was handed down against. And that is 60% of Michigan voters voted to keep our complete abortion ban, abortion illegal for any reason except to save the life of the mother at every point in pregnancy. A supermajority, 60% of Michigan voters, wanted that. That's what they voted for in November 1972. So then just a few weeks later, the United States Supreme Court cheated and decided abortion was going to be legal for any reason at all points of pregnancy in every state, including Michigan. So that created a problem for our state courts uh, because obviously uh, abortionists wanted to start taking the life of babies in Michigan 
And the Supreme Court just said uh, there's a now a, a new constitutional right that we have created out of whole cloth and invented. And we want to do this. But the Michigan people clearly don't want it. A supermajority of voters said, no, unborn babies are human beings. Do not kill them. So it puts our state court in a tough spot. Now, thankfully, in 1973, uh, just after January, our Michigan Supreme Court justices were not abortion fanatics. So uh, in some states, they were. Um, in some states, they still are. And Roe versus Wade then is a simple, uh, just wave them ahead, go ahead and do whatever you want. However, our Michigan Supreme Court justices were honest. And so looking at this case, this was a case uh, called People versus Bricker, challenging Michigan's existing abortion law. They said, look, um, and this is, this is a direct quote, proponents of abortion reform took a case to the people last November and lost. It is the public policy of the state to prescribe abortion, unquote. Bam. They had made their case to the people. They lost. It was not the will of the people. This was not, Roe versus Wade was not democracy. It's tyranny. And the state's public policy is to ban abortion. That case, as a precedent, still exists today. So it is still the public policy of the state of Michigan, as decided by the Michigan voters through our constitutional process, to ban proscribed to ban abortion. But what does that mean? Uh, Michigan Supreme Court justices couldn't uphold any convictions of any abortionists because they would just be thrown out uh, in the federal courts. So forced, chained uh, to the Supreme Court's decision and their abuse of authority, uh, our Supreme Court just refused to overturn the law and they said, okay, well, um, what we're going to do is say that, and this is a direct quote, except as to those cases and defined and exempted under Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, criminal responsibility attaches. So uh, basically uh, kind of like blinking the, the torture symbol um, <laughs> in a hostage video, the Supreme Court is saying, look, we think abortion should still be illegal. It is still illegal in Michigan. Uh, except for those cases that the United States Supreme Court, in their infinite wisdom, has decided to uh, violate the Constitution and the law and allow, um, then we're going to still hold abortionists accountable in our state. So basically, the only thing blocking Michigan's law, our abortion ban still on the books, is the United States Supreme Court. And specifically, let's be honest, the men and women who make up the United States Supreme Court. They are the ones personally responsible in the end for every abortion that happens in this state because they're the ones keeping it legal. They're the ones that have the moral, they don't have all of the moral responsibility, obviously, but they bear moral responsibility for every single life lost in Michigan, about 25,000 to 27,000 a year. So, uh, People versus Bricker was not just, uh, you know, um, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg opinion that people still talk about as, uh, you know, really exciting. That is the law in Michigan. So we've actually used Michigan's existing abortion ban to actually convict an abortionist in 2001 who performed an abortion after viability. So Roe versus Wade said you can perform an abortion in the first three months uh, for any reason. No questions asked. 
In the second three months, you're going to have to, uh, you, can do, you can have some regulations, but you can't really challenge right to abortion. In the third trimester, suddenly, you can't perform an abortion, except uh, if you, you do have to have any health exception in there. So you can ban abortion in the third trimester, but you have to have this health exception. And in the same day, they released a case, Doe versus Bolton, where the, about Georgia abortion law, where they define what health means. What does health mean? Health means basically all factors, and they listed out a ton of factors. So health means anything. So you can ban abortions in the United States in the third trimester, now after viability, um, but you have to allow it for any reason. Makes perfect logical sense, right? Um, <laughs> the entire law is, is the exception. Um, the entire rule is the exception. So that's what the case was. However, you still have to have a perfunctory health exception. So that health reason can be anything, but there still has to be a reason. And it happened that this abortionist in 2001, um, this was a case called People versus Higuera, and basically um, lied about the health exception. So, um, oops, the abortionist had one job. All he had to do was lie, and he could do that abortion. He refused to do it, and so he was actually convicted for performing an abortion after viability. Uh, now, why? where does this viability thing come in? Uh, and this is important. We'll get to it in a minute. But in 1992, the United States Supreme Court held, heard a case called uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And what they did is they took Roe versus Wade, this fake decision, and they decided to fake it up a little bit more. But instead of these completely arbitrary first, second, and third trimester divisions, they created a uh, slightly less arbitrary sounding dividing line of viability. And so before viability, uh, as in Roe versus Wade, before the third trimester, states can only regulate abortions in certain ways. And then after viability, States can ban abortion, but they have to have a health exception. So they can ban it, but they have to allow it for any reason. So in Michigan, our law is still in effect. And if Roe versus Wade is changed at all, then obviously more criminal responsibility attaches because our Michigan Supreme Court has said that our law is enforceable in every case that isn't exempted Um by the United States Supreme Court. So if the United States Supreme Court allows certain other, um, basically within a certain time frame, I'm not really sure that, say, if the Supreme Court said that you can ban abortion on children with Down syndrome, um, that would be a tough sell in a court that our law applies in that case because that's not really a ban in a certain time frame. It's a ban on uh, based on identity. So... Um, it's a little complicated, but if Roe versus Wade is gone tomorrow, then Michigan Supreme Court opinion is that our law, full criminal responsibility to an abortionist attaches. Uh, if Roe versus Wade is modified, say, down to, down to viability, um, that's a very general standard, and our law has a good opportunity of automatically banning all of those abortions. This is really well understood fact. Uh, Michigan constitutional experts understand it. Uh, our pro-abortion attorney general, Dana Nessel, understands it. That's why she said that she's going to refuse to enforce our state's abortion laws if Roe v. Wade is overturned. 
because she knows abortion would be illegal and she has no problem violating her oath of office or the law because she believes abortion is more important than the law. You don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand it. Um, you know, People vs. Bricker is a very short decision. Anyone can find it online and read it. And our complete abortion ban you know, is online. We actually have a great article on this on our website called Michigan Abortion Law Before Roe vs. Wade. So just go to rtl.org, type that in the search bar, and you can find it. Now, it should mean, if, if you understand this, it should make sense then why we don't necessarily in Michigan want to pass certain types of abortion bans. Um, a personhood ban would define a, uh, a person specifically as uh, you know, any child in the womb, and it would specifically ban abortion. Now, we're not necessarily against that. We actually tried to uh, use that strategy to ban partial birth abortion through our Legal Birth Definition Act, which defined birth at the point that any um, you know, part of the baby left the womb. Didn't fly in court, um, although we did get our partial birth abortion ban eventually. But you know, obviously we believe an unborn child is a person. It's not a question of principles, but um, right now Michigan has this Michigan Supreme Court decision and you don't want to mess with it because it's an instant win. And the difference, if Roe versus Wade is overturned and People versus Bricker is still in place, um, we're playing defense. The other side is going to have to bring a proposal to legalize abortion. They're going to have to do something in order to do that, and we're in a position of defending from a strong place. And we have the law on our side, um, and if we have the right Michigan Supreme Court, then we're good from the get-go. The other side has to do something to change that situation. Uh, and, and this is why the Michigan Supreme Court control is so important. And right now we have a pro-abortion Supreme Court. So not that we would ever root against Roe versus Wade being overturned, but if Roe versus Wade were to be overturned in Michigan tomorrow, I can guarantee you that Michigan Supreme Court is not going to abide by People versus Bricker. And we're going to be in a world of hurt. And by we, I don't really mean me and my colleagues here at Rights Life Michigan, I mean the babies. Because if People versus Bricker, that Supreme Court decision, gets messed with in any manner, then we go from playing defense to having to play offense. And the de facto situation is unborn children will continue to be killed. And we have to do something to change it. Um, and those are two incredibly different dynamics. It's going to make the uh, a fight because, you know, as soon as Roe versus Wade is done, uh, there's going to be a fight in Michigan one way or the other about abortion. And the parameters of that fight, excuse me, I keep having to rub my nose here, it's allergy season. Uh, the parameters of that fight are going to be very important in influencing our chances of success or not. And those chances represent real human lives. And those chances are bad, lives are going to be lost. If those chances are good, lives are going to be saved. So we don't want to invite any confusion with our existing law. We don't want to invite the Michigan Supreme Court to reconsider People versus Bricker. We don't need to do it. We don't need to do anything to ban abortion in Michigan right now because it is banned. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit around on our hands and do nothing. We still uh, do whatever we can to hem in abortion. Um, 
any bans like partial birth abortion that obviously don't interfere with our existing law, which we're still even in, in these laws that just, uh, you know, like in, informed consent and whatnot. In all these laws, we make sure to include a specific reference to our old law and say this doesn't, uh, in, this doesn't in any way can be interpreted to get rid of our old law. We're very careful about that. Uh, so that's why Right to Life of Michigan generally doesn't support these kind of great ideas that people think up that maybe in other states like in New York where the law of the land is abortions around nine months of pregnancy, those laws would be perfectly great. Uh, and they would be infinite improvements because right now New York's at a zero. But in Michigan would not be an improvement. It would potentially, it, it would get us no gain and it would risk our situation drastically after Roe versus Wade is overturned. Now, what do I mean by, you know, no gain and this difference? So, and this is where I think a lot of people lose their historical perspective, um, not just in Michigan, but in the pro-life movement as a whole. So, uh, every now and again, people do come up with these, but they think are, I'll call them silver bullet ideas, and they're not always laws. Um, Sometimes people think if we just show graphic images to people, abortion will end. If we just call abortion murder, abortions will end. Um, if, if we stop being nice in front of the abortion uh, facilities with sidewalk counseling, um, if we engage in civil disobedience, uh, and of course the laws, if we all just pass this personhood thing that defines, that says an unborn child is a person for the purposes of the 14th Amendment, or... Um, you know, if we just focus on banning all abortions and we don't try to do any intermediate steps or any intermediate bans or regulations, um, all these ideas. And I think they're all born from frustration. And people really should be frustrated. If you're not frustrated by the status of abortion in America, you haven't really thought about it that hard. If you are not frustrated then you really have not thought about it that hard. Now, I don't like to do comparisons with other issues, but you know, consider that Andrew Cuomo lit up the One World Trade Center pink to celebrate keeping abortion unlimited in New York in 2018. And there, you know, that was a, that that tower is built on the resting place of the remains of th almost 3,000 people. That's one day in 2001 that has forever scarred our national memory. Every day in the United States, there are about 3,000 abortions. So that is a 9-11, that is a Pearl Harbor, any other comparison you want to make. Every single day in our country. And if you are not frustrated by that, then you don't really think, you haven't really thought that hard about it, and you maybe don't really think of the unborn child as, as human as anyone else. If there were 3,000 people um, in emergency rooms being randomly murdered by the Department of Health and Human Services every day in America, would you, I don't know, do something, you know, go to an event in January every year and that's it? Is, is that what you would do? I hope not. I hope you would do a little bit more than that. Um... Part of the problem this issue, though, is so frustrating and difficult is 
our political system is set up in a way that you can't just um, demand these radical changes uh, because of the structure. And, and the structure is right and, and good, I would say, um, personally, but it has been corrupted and hacked by the United States Supreme Court. Um, in 1973, they completely stepped out of the bounds of humanity and civilization and sanity and mandated abortion. And so right now we're living in a system that to maintain the rule of law is necessary to protect unborn children, but the rule of law has also been corrupted to the point where they've swept away the human rights of an entire group of people. So what do you do about that? Well, people have these bright ideas, personhood, um, heartbeat, although how it was sold in Michigan and how it's generally thought of around the country is a little different. Um, a lot of a lot of states want to challenge Roe versus Wade right now because they see the way the court is, and um, you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. But you know, people just have these silver bullet ideas, and they think if we just do this thing, then we will push through to final victory. Um, but the world doesn't work that way. You know, if we want to continue to keep this system of the rule of law and the Constitution that protects unborn human beings, we have to preserve it. And um, and sadly, that means we have to convince our, our fellow human beings right now as the mission is we need to build enough public support for this to happen. And we can't just mandate it or wave a magic wand. We don't live in a dictatorship. We live in a constitutional republic, at least nominally, and in order to uh, get a proper change, then we need to go through the system and follow the rules. So um, back when Roe versus Wade was decided, just to illustrate some of these silver bullet ideas, um, you know, they tried to pass a constitutional amendment so that, oh, well, we're just going to change constitution because people are on our side and the Supreme Court will just take them out of the equation. Well, turns out they didn't have the public support they thought and abortion was far more popular than they believed. And so all these efforts, um, ending with the Hatch-Eagleton Amendment in 1983, they all failed. Silver bullet wasn't the silver bullet. And that was 10 years, 10 years of skyrocketing abortion numbers. And that time was, I don't want to say it's wasted because... They maybe you know they don't have the perspective that we do now, but essentially, ten years of wasted efforts because the focus was almost totally on those sorts of things. Dead end. Um, you know, civil disobedience has been tried at, at abortion facilities where people would very would 100% peacefully you know just chain themselves to the door or the abortion machine or whatnot. Um, you know, that didn't end abortion. That None of it ended abortion because there's not a significant critical mass of people behind it. And the only way you can do that is to build that public support. So, um, you know, if your silver bullet idea factors that in, that's a good thing. That's important. But um, it's probably going to take a big combination of those things. So in Michigan, what we've done is building that public support, law by law, vote by vote, issue by issue. Um, and it really doesn't matter what law you come up with to challenge Roe versus Wade. It only matters who the judges are. You know, the Supreme Court was one vote away from overturning Roe versus Wade in 1992. 
and they were going to do it with a law that required parental consent. It wasn't a real direct challenge to Roe versus Wade. Obviously, they upheld that parental consent law in 1992, and that's coexisted along with Roe versus Wade judicially for almost 30 years now. Uh, but so it wasn't really a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, although any iota of truth is. Um, and Roe versus Wade still stands, and that's only because of who is on the Supreme Court and the state of public opinion. So, just to sum up real quick, in Michigan, we have this law. It's in place through the system that we have. We get rid of Roe versus Wade, it can go back into effect. We don't want to do anything to sacrifice that position. We want to do everything we can, though, to build public support, to win elections, uh, to change the makeup of the, of the United States Supreme Court to where it is now, hopefully, that we can overturn Roe versus Wade, at which point um, we haven't won, then all 50 states need to start banning abortion. In Michigan, we might leapfrog ahead of most of them if we have the right Michigan Supreme Court at the time and our old ban can flip right into effect, whereas other states like New York are going to have to start from scratch. But we need to build up that overwhelming public support to the point that we can amend the Constitution and people believe in that amendment, um, banning abortion. And even then we can't be complacent because abortion is always going to exist in the minds of people because all sorts of bad things are always going to exist. And we'll have to continue educating, supporting women in crisis pregnancies and teaching people about the value of all human life. But it's so critically important that we have this historical perspective to do it. And if we don't have that historical perspective, we are just harming them ourselves. We're trying to reinvent the wheel. We are failing to learn from our past mistakes. And that's just the point I want to end on as we're hitting the 30-minute mark here. Um, people look at people who've been in the pro-life movement for, say, 40 years, and they think, oh, they're, you know, they're just doing it for the money. <laughs> There's not a lot of money in the pro-life movement, let me tell you. Um, they do it because they care, because it would feel weird sometimes going from, I fought this great evil for 20 years, and now I'm going to go make widgets while 3,000 kids die every day. It's a hard thing to deal with. So... Um, they have the historical perspectives. There's people around who lived through 1973 to 1983, basically a wasted decade of pro-life effort. It, they then lived through the, few, the next couple decades where passing these state-level pro-life laws started to accumulate wins and started to move public opinion. Partial birth abortion moved public opinion at a very critical point. It was after... Uh, Roe versus Wade was challenged and Planned Parenthood versus Casey upheld that once again all the pundits said oh that's it that's it abortion is going to be legal forever and public opinion was starting to trend the abortion the pro-abortion way and I can only imagine what it was like to be a pro-life activist in 1993 with Bill Clinton in office um, <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg joining the Supreme Court I can only imagine but they persevered through continued building that public support, using every issue, every advantage that we can, and that's how we're going to end abortion. In a constitutional republic, we're going to have to convince people it's wrong. And any strategy that doesn't do that and doesn't appreciate how difficult it is to talk about this issue and get people um, to move their opinion on it 
is going to be a wasted effort. And in the background of that, human beings die. And so the stakes couldn't possibly be higher. And in Michigan, as in every state, you have to ha execute this strategy smartly. Again, if you want more information, um, you know, you go to that article on our website, rtl.org, called Michigan Abortion Law Before Roe v. Wade. It's also got a little more history in there I didn't cover. Um, we also have a great little document on our mission page. You go to the bottom of our website, there's a mission policy page. Uh, and in that page, there's a document called the Pro-Life Path to Ending Abortion. And it basically lays out these steps so you get a clear idea of what we're doing and where we've been and where we still need to go. All right, that's it. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you again on Friday.